Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, all of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift, this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode number 30 of The Hunting Collective. I'm Ben O'Brien, and today I am joined by one of my favorite people on the planet Earth, and probably one of the best, better guests we'll ever have, and that man's name is Charles the Rabbit Man Rodman. And I first met Charles about two years ago on a rabbit hunt on Maryland's Eastern Shore, and since then I have been infatuated with his passion for rabbit hunting just the his personality uh, the man that he is his life and times and why he loves rabbit hunting so much and hopefully this podcast will shed some light on all those questions um, and it's enjoyable Charles is a family man a man of God and a man who is the he is the preacher or the pastor at the church of rabbit hunting uh, he could talk about it all day and all night. He loves it that much. So, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation. Uh, I sure did with Charles Rodney. He's the man. Charles, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Well, thanks for having me to your home. Well, you're quite welcome. My pleasure. Um, I want to start by saying, you know, how long, when did we rabbit hunt? It was a year and It was a half about ago? two years ago, about two seasons ago. Two seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Um, on the Eastern Shore of Maryland, and I wish we could have done it last year. We were just talking about having children and mm-hmm. how that, uh, and being busy and how that, that does it, but what... When we hunted together on the Eastern Shore, it struck me that that was a hunt I would do every year. You know, and I think you should. It was an awesome hunt. <laughs> yeah, it was a great hunt. And it also struck me that the one, the first thing we should talk about is how delicious rabbit meat cottontails are. Rabbit meat 
is one of the the best meat and it's 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 all natural and there's hardly any fat they eat only natural things grass and leaves and twigs out in the woods and yeah. they run in and they they'll eat soybean and stuff that they can get to uh but they're running so they're healthy they're they're no fat on them and uh, it's one of the healthiest foods you can find. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. No. And a lot of people see them running around their backyard. They don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. But That's for right. Me. So after that, we hunted in February. After that hunt we did, my dad was along. We went Super Bowl Sunday. We cooked up a bunch of rabbit legs. We soaked them in milk a little bit, fried them up, put a little Old Bay on them, served them at a Super Bowl party. Great. Everybody that was there eating them, like, these chicken, these chicken legs are great. <laughs> These are best chicken legs I've ever had. So that's a rabbit. <laughs> Most city people don't know. <laughs> they were, oh, what? Where'd you get this chicken? <laughs> well, I got it on the eastern shore, and it's a damn rabbit. That's right. And so that always struck me is not only is rabbit hunting fun, we were talking about it earlier here, not only is it fun, is it easy to do, but you end up with, you know, a bunch of rabbits to go home, skin, and eat. That's, that's right. fun. Fun for a kid to do. And rabbits, um, not only are they good and good for you, but they're one of the easiest game to clean. Yeah. You can clean. I can clean a bunch of rabbits by the time I clean two squirrels. <laughs> and and it, you just cut a little slit and you pull them opposite in and all the fur come off. And and you pull, you slit behind the tail? Or you I slit? slit, I usually slit over the back or around the stomach and put my finger in and just pull out. Pants and the shirt and it, method. Yes, yeah. right. And it comes off the off the back legs and over the head. Now, a lot of other guys do it a little bit different. And then I just take a knife and, and, and gut them. And You're done. Uh, I'm done. And if they're, if they're a little bloody, I soak them. I got a big, uh, one of them big wash tubs. Soak them for eight to ten hours overnight usually. And all that blood comes out. Yep. And then you clean it off. Wrap it in freezer paper. A lot of guys use shrink wrap and label them, and there you go. There you and go. you're you're ready. Yeah. And so forth. Does your wife cook up a lot of rabbits, right? My wife actually is a city girl. I'm the country boy from Louisiana, and we've been married tomorrow. September the 22nd will be 46 years. <laughs> Can't get her to even go out and look at the dogs when I get a new one. But she gives me support. So I do all the rabbit cooking. I do all the rabbit cleaning. I have a special freezer just for wild game. Because a lot of the people I take rabbit hunting give me other games. Elk, moose, deer, whatever they hunt. Wild, uh, waterfowl. And we eat some of it. But there are loads of people that I supply rabbit. Every year I have 20, 25 names to give rabbits. In my cut of the take in my group, we'll get over 200. And in my take, I I usually get about 40, 45. Mm -hmm. So some guys come just to shoot and hunt, shoot the breeze. Some guys take one or two. Some guys say, well, I don't want many. So whatever they don't take, I take because I have a market for giving them away. Yeah. I don't sell anything. I don't expect anything in return. All I expect is a thank you. And and if I don't get that, or a big smile on your face, and that's thank you enough. (laughs) So there are lots of older people who lived in the country of Maryland, Southern Maryland, and some city folks, North Carolina, South Carolina. They did it 
uh, their family hunted and they can't get them anymore. And they say, hey, at church, I got a lot of people say, you take rabbits to church? I say, sure. <laughs> I say, all these old people. I said, well, what mass are you going to tomorrow? We're Catholic. And I bring them a rabbit. It's clean. It's wrapped. It's labeled. And uh, they enjoy it. Yeah. And and that's my treat to them. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Now, and you get people... You know, there's a lot of people, like you say, that can't go out and do that stuff. That's right. They don't have a place to go or time to go or, or phys- not physically, yeah, physically yeah. unable to go. Yeah. I mean, share it with them. That's awesome. So you, you're from Louisiana. You found your way here to Maryland, and we'll get into that. But I want to just kind of go back to your upbringing and when you first started hunting, because I know we talked a little bit about swamp rabbits, mm-hmm. which, I, which I thought was fun, a uh, fun term. When did you first start hunting and when did you first start rabbit hunting what was the thing that got you excited about it well growing up we grew up we were sharecroppers in louisiana so we lived on somebody else's land and my dad and my uncle next door farmed and when we would go hunting um you just walk behind the house into the fields and you would hunt there i started about eight years old mainly following my big older brother who was 11 years older than me. He loved to hunt, and they would let me follow him. But my, the rule was I'd walk right behind him. I didn't have a shotgun. I had a BB gun, and most time nothing. I carried whatever he killed. And I learned that way, and as time got, I got older and teenager, there was a, a friend who had a couple of dogs, and uh, we hunted. We hunted in the cotton fields and on the ditches and in the woods, and we, we'd get cottontails in the field. And then if you wanted the big rabbit, you'd go in, in the woods, in the deep woods, and which was only probably a half a mile walk. Yeah. And we, we would get one or two. But we never had, being poor, we never had quality dogs, okay? We had yard dogs that could hunt rabbits too <laughs> yep. and, and do a lot of other things. Uh, these were multi-purpose dogs, so they would get some. And then... I hunted uh, throughout my teen years, and after college in, in Baton Rouge, I moved here in 72, got married, and started hunting a little bit here with my wife, two uncle, and we'd go down southern Maryland. We had a couple little small spots. We'd get one or two rabbits. Then when the kids started coming, uh, I quit, and then as they got older, and in college, in, in upper high school, I started back. So I told my wife, I said, you know, I was relying on another fellow who wasn't too dependable and, and didn't have good dogs. I said, I like this so much, I'm going to start doing it. So I had an old truck that my family was our dad's, and when he passed, they gave it to me. And I brought it up from Louisiana, and we built a little common dog box. I got some dogs. Made all of the mistakes. Bought the wrong dogs. Let's say, what dogs you buy first? Uh, I bought a dog named um, Rowdy, oh, wow. and then I had one named Slim or something like that. <laughs> well, I didn't know much about dogs then, and yeah. the guy that sold them to me, he took me for a ride because I just wanted two dogs, and he sold me one dog that was slower and a fast dog. Now I know what I know now. That's a bad mixture. You want all of your dogs the same speed. Yeah. You want them all medium, all slow, or all fast. You want them when they're running to be in a bunch together. 
on the scent line. You don't want one to be here and one 50 yards away. Yeah. So I made all of the mistake, bought the wrong dog, dogs. And then I got some other dogs. Then I didn't know they ran deer. So I lost dogs. Dogs spent the night in the, in the woods. So gradually I started talking to some veteran hunters that I trusted who raised dogs and bred dogs. And they gave me a lot of tips and I started reading and I started using better judgment of people that I bought dogs from mm-hmm. because I don't breed my own dogs. I buy them when they're started one to two years. So they gave me loads of advice, which I, 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 I'm proud to have received this advice from them. Yep. They told me all of the do's and don'ts and I learned from my errors and I learned how to break dogs using, it was Tritronics at the time, the training collars. Some yep. people call them the shock collars, now Garmin. Mm-hmm. And I used those faithfully. And I put them on live deer and break them. Now I don't have to because the deers have invaded the neighborhood where we live. So I can break them right here in the yard. <laughs> so and you just got your dogs chasing deer in the yard? In the yard. Yeah, the deers, the, the deers come in the yard to eat all the flowers and things of that sort. So recently, last year, I built an eight-foot fence around my vegetable garden so we can have vegetables. It looks like a prison camp. All I need is a little towel on there. But this is a multi-purpose dog use. Now you're training your dogs on deer and keeping them the hell out of your yard at the same time. Well, the deer now that the dogs are in the pen, the dogs only one out of six will look at the deer and bark. The other five go about their business and the deer know that they can't get out. So they go about their business. They just trot along. But I learned from these people. So all of this valuable knowledge now. I know how to select dogs and have known for many years. So in the last 15 to 20 years, 20 years maybe, I have not had one dog run off. Deers will get up in front of them, will cross the track, will be laying in the brush. They'll see the deer. They pay it no mind because you know that deer scent is much hotter than a rabbit scent. Sure. So they don't pay it any mind, and we keep hunting. So when they go in the brush and they start barking, I don't have to panic that a big buck is going to run out the other side and they're going to run because if they chase deer, then they're no good to us as rabbit hunters. Sure. And a deer will run straight for miles. The dog will, if he survived the highways that they're going to cross, then he's no good for you because you don't trust him. But now when I go with six, I come back right. with six. <laughs> and, and guys will tell me, Charles, a deer just got up. What do you want to do? I say, don't do anything. They're not going to chase him. Just wait for that rabbit to come back. Yeah. And and it happens over and over. But when you pick quality dogs from quality people, because um, a lot of guys dog trade, they'll tell you that this dog will do all sorts of things and so forth. And you've got a deer runner. You've got a dog that's gun shy and everything. So I buy quality dogs. I work them and I buy my dogs only in the summertime mm-hmm. so that I have time to train them Makes sense. and let them get used to my voice, each other and so forth. Because the season starts always in Maryland, the first Saturday in November. So I'll buy dogs in April, May, June and work them and train them. And when the season come, they're in shape. 
And so I don't have that problem. I have none but rabbit runners. (laughs) Only rabbit runners. And I've seen it in action. It is unbelievable what these dogs can do. So let's go back uh, because we'll we'll talk dogs forever here. But when you were, you you, you mentioned a few things. You came up poor. Yes. Um, You came up seemingly close to your family and you came up hunting. Mm-hmm. You feel like uh, how that shaped you as a person, you know, have you became, you know, you've been married for, we say 48 years, I'm 46, gonna, 46 years. I want to get that number correct. Uh, your wife cooks a hell of a breakfast. You probably, <laughs> we just got finished that. I'm sure you've eaten many of those. Um, but it seems like, you know, kids, wife, you have a good life. Everything has turned out well, mm-hmm. you know, very happy and productive and I always try to look back and, and how you were raised and what that might have given you. Do you have any insight as to your upbringing and what it meant? Well, we were raised in a in a Christian family in South Louisiana. Most of the people are Catholic. There are other faiths there and they're good people. They taught us the value of working together. We lived on a farm, so if we finished early, we helped the next guy and my uncle next door, and we helped people up and down the road, and they helped us. And Daddy grew a large vegetable garden. When I mean a large vegetable garden, he wasn't selling it. He grew it, and we kept wondering, why are we growing all of this stuff? Well, back then, we didn't have freezers, so the, the old mason jars, we canned everything. And what we what we didn't use, we gave away. Mm-hmm. And I was the youngest of seven. So I got the luxury of picking when my older brothers and sisters started leaving and so forth. So we were raised up in, in two family and a mother and a father. Um, and we were raised up in Catholic school. We went to Catholic elementary and then on to uh, public school. But we were raised with good Christian values that you help people and you do for people and that's your thank you and that's your enjoyment. And that sticks with me today because I do some of the same thing, even though I hated it when we grew all those big gardens and daddy would, somebody would come and there were certain people who came by, they knew when the sweet corn made, they knew when the figs made, they knew when this made and the pecans, we had pecan trees and being the youngest, I got to go in that hot sun and go get these things and box these things. But I didn't know it in reality. I was enjoying it. I do the same thing today. I grow a garden. And many of my hunting friends grow big gardens. There's a guy that grow greens and he plants them for the deer so he can stick an arrow in them because he can't shoot a gun where he lives. And so he plants the greens for the last four or five years. He doesn't sell them. He doesn't give them away. Guess what he does? He tells me, Charles, go in there and take them because you give them the people. And we, my cousin and I will go and we'll pick two pickup trucks load and we'll give to everybody and their brother. We'll take them to church, to his church, to my church and the people. And we give. So we're giving back yeah. the way we were taught to give back. And he's an old country boy from Maryland, too. So those family values stick today. Yeah. And when where we live, everybody knew us. Okay. The races were separate, okay? Predominantly white and black. We were Creole. My folks spoke Creole. I know a little bit of it, but they have that intrinsic value that you help your fellow man regardless. And I do the same thing today. Yeah. Uh, I give people, I give service to the church, I give service to people. I have a lot of older friends, I mean, older friends in their upper 90s 
and close to 100. Wow. And one man is 93, and <laughs> we still, I take him rabbit hunting twice a year. The last last two hunts, he rode on a little cart, and he just come to hear He's rabbit dog. hunting on a cart? Yeah, on a little John Deere, <laughs> little John Deere four-wheeler thing. <laughs> and he rides along, and he hunts, and we've become friends That's in three fantastic. years. And he, at 93, he grows a big truck garden. So he sells everything 50 cents a pound. So I go sometime and I'll buy a truckload. You'd be surprised how much stuff you can buy for $50. And I give it away. That's fair. And so forth. So I even take some to the, we have nuns, sisters at the convent. So I take stuff to them. They tell me they like deer. So I got some friends who gonna who gives me a couple of deers and yep. I give it away. And so I'm, I say, and they're from all over the world. They're about 12 of them there, but they're about 10 different ethnic groups and they move them in and out. So they enjoy it. I give them all kinds of vegetables and so forth. You're spreading the gospel of wild game. Wild oh, cooking. wild game and vegetable and service. People call me and and so say, Charles, you have this. Can you tell me where I say, I'll get you some. And I get in and they say, well, what can I do? Pay, pay you? I say, there's no money. There's no money. You give back. When you give back, it comes back to you. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about that in detail, how um, the many people who have invited me to hunt on their land yeah, and you what have that this, has meant. Yeah, we'll get to that, too, because I want to kind of go in order here. Okay, go ahead. But but there is this amazing thing that you do. You said that a lot of people think you're an outfitter, right? Well, I remember you've when, when I met you and we hunted together, you gave me your business card. And it says... So some effect like Charles the Rabbit Hunter Rodney. Right. You know and it says the only game in town for me. <laughs> it's the only game in town for me. Right. Because I don't I don't want to uh insult any of the other hunters, but this is all that That's I all do. You do. And which is wonderful. And it did it doesn't say like call me for hunts. It doesn't say outfitter no. guide. There's nothing of that. You literally for no money go hunting rabbits with anybody who desires to do so. And that will you'll take the time to do it. And I tell people this. My wife made the card up. She said, "You can, calls started coming. She said, you need a card so these guys can call you. So it's got the cell and the house number and the email thing on there. And this was way before texting. So I passed them out uh, to various people. And um, a lot of people say, are you an outfitter? Well, how do I get on your schedule? What do you charge? I say, hold up. Let me clear this up. I am not an outfitter. I'm just a guy. That love, I'm passionate about rabbit hunting and having good dogs. And I enjoy people. And I meet people, easy people. We we tend to take to each other. I can tell the ones that's laying a lot of BS out, okay? Mm-hmm. And I don't hunt with half crazy people. If, if they talk <laughs> foolish, they won't get invited. And if they come and hunt one time and they do something wrong, that's not uh, good hunting mannerism then they're on their first and their last and their only hunt. Yeah. But I'm a good judge of people, and some of the people I've been hunting with for 10, 12 yeah. years, yeah. and they bring many of their friends and family members and so forth. Uh, and most of them have some of the same hunting times. It's like in February when the waterfowl and deer seasons are over, um, the four Saturdays in February in President's Day, they belong to the same four people. Yeah. And nobody can break that lineup. They enjoy it so much they won't give it up. 
that's what it's about. I mean, if it's it's. I think it goes back to you're saying having a garden, eating what you kill, having a community of people that share those same values enough to the fact they want to come and get your vegetables <laughs> when they know they're they're ready to be plucked. That's just a a life of giving, right? A life right. of sharing, a life of you be you become passionate about something, the first thing you think of is to share it with people. Right. And we grew up that way. We shared um we shared with many people and there were people just as poor poor as us or poor and the, the rich people we knew who they were. They were the big landowners who owned all the land. Uh and, you know, they didn't congregate around you because you were of that other class, whether you were black or white. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that's how it was. And you, the value was instilled in me to treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. And it works well. Yeah, seems to. So you met your, I want to hear about just because your life, your wife is as lovely and and I just want to hear about, and it's your anniversary coming up, so I want to hear about how you guys met. Because that's about the reason you came to Maryland, correct? Or right. One of the well, my brother recently, he's a Catholic priest. He recently celebrated his 50th anniversary as a priest in May of this year. Mm-hmm. So he was the assistant pastor after he was ordained. He was ordained in 68. So uh, I came up in December or of 70 to visit with him. And he was assistant pastor of a church here in Washington, D.C., St. Luke's Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And my wife uh, worked there as a student, typing and answering the phone on weekend. So I caught her eye, but she didn't want to have anything to do with me the first year. So I had my hair long at the time. And tell you the truth, I'd been out with some of the local boys and we were drinking, uh, we call it pluck, cheap wine <laughs> and gin. And my eyes was a little red. And she I can't on, picture you with long hair, though. What kind of long? Oh, I had a big, big, wild looking afro <laughs> back at the time. Um, quite different. And we're and talking so, 70s. That's acceptable. Yeah, we're talking totally 70s. Acceptable. We're talking 70s. That's totally acceptable. And we were going through all of the cultural changes and the cultural shocks. So she didn't want to have anything to do. But I like what I saw. And the next year, I said, I'm going back. So I went back on semester Christmas break the next year. And I cut my hair and I didn't drink anything. So my eyes Was this clear. all intentional? You thought, well, It was yeah. all intentional yeah. by me. And... <laughs> She claimed she didn't have a boyfriend. Then dad broke up, so she was looking. And so we got to talking and visiting, and we corresponded and visiting. And after college, I came back in that next summer, and we got married in September. Wow. So so that's the, the short end of the, of the love story. And so what did I move here? Because there were jobs here. Mm-hmm. And in Baton Rouge, most of the jobs were kind of menial working in the chemical plants, and I never wanted to work in the chemical plants. I knew many people who did that work. I said, I can do better. Hmm. So I came here, and I got a job in the federal government down at uh, the Naval Ordnance Station in Indian Head, Maryland. Worked there a few years, and then worked some other federal agencies, and she was working for the Navy Department. And we progressed along the, the promotion chain, 
and did well. We both ended up in human resources. So that's one of my other qualities. I know people from a human resource standpoint. We hired, promoted, classified, did pay changes. Um, I worked six years in equal employment opportunity where I dealt with all the people's problems, the discrimination and all of the things associated with that, not being treated fairly, perception or otherwise. So I got to know people well in handling problems, hiring, firing, all of that, counseling. So I got to know people quite well, people, people in a part of people. And it, it all stems back to my upbringing. So, um, and then we just, we progress on. We both did about 30 plus years in the federal government. We've mm-hmm. been retired for a few years. I've been retired for 15 years and she 12 years. And we raised our three children in this house. Matter of fact, the last one who's 37, she was three days old when we moved into this house. Wow. And they're all gone. So uh, we're comfortable and we give thanks to God all the time for all of our blessing. We have three beautiful kids. They each have two children and they all went to Catholic elementary, Catholic high school and college. And two of them have advanced degrees. So, and they're doing quite well with their family. So as they say, the apple don't fall far from the tree. So (laughs) they have, they have good quality and good skills too. Good. So, well, I mean, it, what strikes me in that whole thing is, you know, you grew up in segregated Louisiana mm-hmm. in the sixties and seventies, and then you move here and you you you're working in human resources and discrimination. What was that like, going from you know where you grew up? I mean, as you said, that's how you grew up. That's how it was at the time. You didn't think much of it, but then you get you know to a different part of the world and you start to deal with those problems in a more modern sense. Well, it's 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 a survival thing. You know, the culture dictated how you behave and how you act and where you associated. I remember going, not being able to go into many places because the signs were up. Yeah. And if the signs were not there, there are certain places you knew not to go into and we were taught not to go into and certain people we couldn't associate with because of how things were. But then here, I come into a world where I have to deal with some of those same problems as a young adult in hiring people, hiring people of and treating them fair of any color, any belief they have and treat them. In, or, and then later on, when I was the equal employment manager at this one agency, uh, ensuring that everybody got fair treatment and going out and defending people who I thought were wrong. And I did that. It probably cost me a few things because I think I fought some battles that some people thought I shouldn't have fought. <laughs> yeah. But I saw wrong and I tried to deliver it and make it right yep. and so forth. And I had some hard cases where some people were uh, mislabeled for no reason other than somebody down the line with a little bit more power or oomph. Um, thought they should be treated differently. And that treatment I thought was unfair. Yeah. And I spoke out about it. Yeah. And most of those people were not my color. And I didn't, I treated everybody as fair as I can be, regardless of who walked in that door. If they came with a problem, I shut the door 
and I listened and I took notes and we took, we had certain steps you have to go in, into the, the equal employment channel. You have to do certain thing in a step-by-step in a timely fashion. Yeah. And I was supposed to be neutral and I try to maintain that neutrality. And when some of them I thought was wrong, I told them, you're, you're not right with this. And when the managers were wrong, all right, I told them told too. Them. And yeah. I shared with them. So I didn't choose one side or the other. But somewhere in there, unknowns to me, I must have helped some of the wrong people or took on some of the issues that the management didn't care about. But they never came back and told me. So, yeah. But I did what my heart felt. And I think today, when I look at people, uh, I don't look at anybody's color. I don't look at anybody's religion, whether they believe or don't believe. And we surely don't talk about politics. When we go in the field, and a lot of the times when I take various groups hunting, I always try and take one of my buddies. uh, Because sometimes we have some new guys that don't understand all of the features of rabbit hunting. So while I'm working the dog, my buddy will help keep them in line and the main thing with the guys is two of them will get together and start talking. <laughs> and the one thing I find that's a big nuisance now, they need to leave those cell phones in the truck. <laughs> if you got to talk on the phone, then you need to stay at home. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, All of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com. That's right. So I bring one of my buddies and most of the people I take hunting, they're not of my color, my race, but that doesn't matter. I tell everybody we're rabbit hunters. Yep. 
with rabbit hunters. That's what we're doing. We're not doing, we're not trying to cure the world of the social ills and all the other things and what you believe and what you don't believe. We're rabbit hunting. Long as you're safe and, you, and you're having fun. And I tell them my job simply is with the dogs to get some rabbits up. Hopefully you make a shot or two. Now, if you kill, that's on you. If you can't shoot and you keep missing, then there's a lot of teasing. Listen, but that's my job. Yeah. The church of rabbit hunting is open to all as long as that's you can right. shoot. As long that's as you right. can shoot. And you're safe. Yep. And you're safe. Be safe. And, and, sh- and all the guys are hunters. Uh, they hunt different things. Some shooting them in the air. Some waiting all day to, for that one shot on that big elk or moose or big white tail <laughs> somewhere. And, and, but they know, they know safety yeah. and that's the key. Yeah. And they have fun. Well, especially, yeah, because when you're out rabbit hunting, there's rabbits running everywhere. There's yeah. people going everywhere. There's dogs everywhere. You have right. To, you have to be aware, very aware of what you're pointing your That's right. Your and gun. and people don't understand it. They say, well, Charles, they, I get all these questions. So they say, how close are the dogs to the rabbit? Are the dogs going to catch the rabbit? I say, very rare. Very rare. They'll, they'll, they'll get a wounded rabbit or a down rabbit underneath the brush, and they'll bring him out. Okay. But. When the rabbit get up, I know that the rabbit is up by the sound of the dog's voices. Sometimes I see the rabbit. Sometimes I see the grass shake. Mm-hmm. And for safety, you never shoot in the grass. You know your target. The dogs are running 25 to 100 yards behind the rabbit. So when you see that rabbit make its turn and come back, he's giving the dog the slip because he's going to run zigzag. He's going to make a double back on his trail. He's going to circle. He's going to loop. He's going to do all sorts of things to make you look bad. So Yeah. Yeah. They do make you look <laughs> bad. Well, you do. did good on that they hunt. But I was I was very thrilled. I think we got 14 that day, and you must have got four or five. But you were. You were I felt pretty good about you, the whole you situation. You were dusting them. I, was, were I dusting didn't them. feel. I wasn't too sad about no, my performance were, that day. You did well. I, well, I'll, tell, I'll take that compliment. Yeah. Especially on the recorded, recorded conversation. So let's go back. Let's go to the start of a rabbit hunt. Right, because I want to get your tips and strategies and and what you look for. But so you have, you know, let's say the property that we hunted on a okay. couple of years back there. What do you look for, and where you're going to find rabbits? What's the first thing that you you show up to a place and you're looking at the area you can hunt, either whether you're looking at a map or just looking at the tangible woodlot or open field? What are you looking for? What you're mainly looking for is cover. Rabbits need cover. They hide under the cover. And they need the cover to protect themselves from predators because rabbits, uh, they're the food that most, they have more predators behind them than any other animal. And hawks, owls, eagle, crows, all of the flying predators look for rabbits. Then you have the ground animals that look for them, foxes, coyotes, feral cats, feral dogs, wild dogs, man, and the road. When they cross the road in the darkness, the light of the car is blind them. So you see plenty dead on the road. So that's about 10 things that's trying to kill a rat. Yeah. So when you look, you're looking for cover. Briars, thick briars, honeysuckle intermixed with briars, grassy fields, weed fields, uh, small trees. You're not going to find many in where the woods are open. Now, if the woods, on the edge of the woods, you got a lot of briars and a lot of honeysuckle where we hunted, yep. they're going to they're gonna be in there. 
yep. because they can hide. And they'll cross the woods, they'll cross water, and they'll come back. One thing about a rabbit, when he gets up, he always returned to where he got up. Yep. So the dogs will chase him in, in whatever direction, and he'll loop, he'll make a turn. Sometimes he'll go 25 yards, sometimes he'll go out of hearing. And long as they're pushing him and they're running him on scent, he's going to keep moving. He runs so far and he stops and listens to those dogs and he's listening up ahead. So if the hunters are up there BSing, talking and making noise, moving their feet around in those dry leaves, those long ears are not just there to, for pretty, to yep. show. They are there because he's listening. He's got a keen sight and he's got a keen hearing. And everything is brown. The grass is brown. The ground is brown. The rabbit is brown. So it's hard to see him. So he'll fly by. He used camouflage and he used his stealth speed to get away from you. Yeah. So you're looking for cover. Now, I've hunted some woods in particular, like in Louisiana, when we go, when I used to go there and hunt those swamp rabbits, they hunt a lot in the woods because there are big briars in the woods. Yeah. And so we'd go down in the woods and it might be water. Those things run in the water, sit in the water. They cross those little streams in Louisiana. They call them bayous. They're mm. nothing but a, a mini river. They will swim across it. They'll hide in the water and 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 uh, and everything. That's what shocked me when we were hunting together, where these rabbits would end up, places yeah. where you'd find them. Mm-hmm. They'd you'd be chased into a freaking rock quarry and crawl under. You know, like- They'll, they will find in Louisiana... There are a lot of oak trees, so there are a lot of holes in the trees at the bottom, and they'll climb and go in those holes. Now, in Maryland, we have a lot of groundhogs, so groundhogs have holes and burrows all over the—we the, the we hunt a lot of they hedgerows. Do. Hedgerows are nothing but a big, wide ditch that separates fields. Farmers will grow corn and soybean and ryegrass and wheat, and they plow the field, so it's clear— and then there's a hedgerow, and it separates this section. Then maybe 100 yards over, there's another hedgerow, or, and it ends up with a, with a weed field or, or a little briar-covered area. So those rabbits come out and eat, and then they, they live in those hedgerows. So we hunt those hedgerows down. And I tell the guys, I said, do not be afraid to take that long shot. Take that shot, but go check where you shot. Because... It only takes one or two pellets to down a rabbit. Rabbit's one of the easiest things to kill. So you walk up there fast and you look on the ground. If you don't see him, you look around and you stand still. Yeah. Because he might be crawling away. So if you see the grass shaking a little bit, then you got him down. And he'll crawl away. And he knows this is his neighborhood. He knows where all of those holes are. Because this is where he lives every day. And he'll find a hole and go in, and now we got a lost rabbit. So if they take their time walking up there, that rabbit is crawling. Mm. He finds that hole, he go away. Sometime I've been able to pull him out of the hole with a stick. <laughs> but those holes curve yep. and so forth. So you lost the rabbit. Yep. And if, he, if he's broken down, broken down mean you've broken the back leg or one or two legs, and he's crawling. And now if, he, if you see him and he's still moving fast, then you try to shoot him in the head. Okay, but if he's down and he went under something, my dogs will find him. They'll yep. go under the briar. They do not eat the down rabbits. Two or three of them will bring him out to me. And boy, do my face 
Glows <laughs> like I won the Powerball. My face is big when I when I first saw a couple of dogs yeah. doing that because we lost the rabbit, and here they come out with the rabbit in their mouth. On one hunt last year, a boy shot at a rabbit, and when I use the term boy, it's not derogatory. It's something we hunters call each oh, other. Yeah. Oh, boy. So he shot at a rabbit, and the rabbit ran across a, a, a gully, and they went on the other side, and the dogs pulled up. When when we say pulled up, that's after you shot at a rabbit and the dog stopped barking and stopped running and they're milling around. I said, that rabbit's down. I said, I, I hope he's not in a hole. Yeah. So I go over on the other side because these guys don't move fast enough. I'm 68 years old and most <laughs> of these guys are half my age and I outwork them all in the woods. Oh, all day. You walk circles around most people. <laughs> so, so, but this is all I do. So I know all of the shortcuts. So I go up there and two of the dogs had the same rabbit in their mouth trying to bring him back to me. One had him by the front leg in his mouth, and the other one had him by the back leg. <laughs> now, now I needed a camera for that. <laughs> oh, that was just awesome. You figure out where the rabbits are. I mean, most places, yes. yep, most places, you go find the cover. It's not very. It's not a hard thing to do most times. No, no. Especially here in southern Maryland and the east, eastern shore of Maryland. You find briars, you find, you find the rabbits, right? And rabbits are plentiful here, for okay. sure. So then you you get your dogs out. So what? How many dogs? What kind of dogs? And give us a breakdown of kind of that part of it. Okay, these dogs are pumped up. This is what they live for. Mm-hmm. This is their excitement. So you 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 got the cover, and when I let them off the truck, they're coming out like F fourteen jets off of the tailgate. I got a ramp for them to come down. Yep. They don't want to walk on a ramp. They want to jump off the table. I got all these photos of these dogs, ears flopping around, and tongues wagging. They're hot. They're barking. And normally what they do, they've been in the box for maybe a two-hour ride. So they, they go and they do their bathroom, and then they start searching. And they're going through the briars, and they're looking for that first scent. So they get that first scent up, and the chase is on. And these are beagles, by these the way. These are beagles. Mm-hmm. Uh they're medium speed. I run all male, medium speed. They're all purebred. That is medium speed, the length of their leg? Like what, how medium they, speed is how fast they run. How do you determine? Well, uh, if you have a slow dog, he's going to be hunting right in, right near in front of you, moving real slow. Is that just a physical ability of the dog, the way you that's a That's bred into them. Bred into them, okay. Yeah. If oh, yeah. you, a lot of guys, there are three speeds. Slow speed, most guys don't use. Most guys use medium speed. They're moving fairly quick. They're searching. And when the chase get on, they're moving out fairly quick. Now, there are some guys like fast dog. Fast dogs are going to go through the briars. And when they push the rabbit, they're going to push him fast. They're going to push him far. And uh, when he comes back, he's coming back fast. Mm-hmm. He's going to come back fast. But that medium speed gives you time to set up, okay? Because when the dog get the rabbit up, the rabbit's going to run in a certain direction. So I tell the guys, okay, he got up right here. He's going to come back close to that same spot where he got up because this is his home. So if it's four of us hunting and we're hunting a stretch of cover, I'll put one guy on one side so he can watch the inside then he can watch if he run on the outside or try to cross over 
one guy on the other side and he can watch that side if he comes running down mm-hmm. the side and two of us in the middle. Yep. Okay. And you find yourself a clearing that you can shoot, a shooting lane. Yep. So when he comes back and you see him, he might come back hopping and listening. He might come back at full speed. And you say, Don, there you go. So the key is you yell to your buddy. He's coming to you so he can get prepared if you miss him. Yep. And then the two guys, and you can only shoot in front. You can't shoot sideways because you got people yep. close to you. And we, we must wear orange, according according to Maryland. Yep. Blaze orange. Blaze orange. At least yep. one one or more pieces of blaze orange. So I carry caps in the truck to give those guys who come with uh, other color caps. Yep. And so you shoot in front of you. The two side guys can shoot on the side because there's nobody there. Now, if he runs between us and he runs behind us, you can turn and shoot that way long as it's safe because there's nobody back there. Yeah. But you man your ground and he's going to come back. He's going to sit long as you stand still and he will come back and sometime he'll pop up right near you yeah. and he'll sit still and you're looking to your left and he's over to your right. He sees you well before and hears you well before you see him. So he sit there. So if nothing happens, he might stay sitting there. And he had no reason to move. Say the dog lose him. And he'll sit there. Then he'll take off. But most time, uh, they come back and somebody gets the shot. Yep. As long as they're tinted. But you don't look at where the dogs are barking. Yeah, you, look you look way up. in front yep. of the dogs because he's way in front of the dogs. It is a strange, it's a strange situation because as a hunter, you're you're trained, especially with with uh, upland game, right? Mm-hmm. Dog on point. You got a pointer. Right. He's pointing. You're looking where he is. Bird's going to flush somewhere close to there. Mm-hmm. In this case, like you said, the dogs are running in front of us. The rabbits are in front of them. I, there's a bunch of times where I'd just be walking along and I'd look over and be a rabbit standing there. Mm-hmm. You know? And he, like you say, he was standing there looking at me while I was walking around. Uh, or I'm, I'd be standing there and there'd be a rabbit come shooting back towards me like a missile. Well, that happens too. Now, some of the places on Maryland Eastern Shore, there are a lot of farms where they have fur trappers. They trap the foxes. Mm-hmm. The foxes are the main thing that eat up a lot of rabbit mm-hmm. because they hunt them night and day. So they trap the foxes for the hide. Yep. And so when they trap the foxes, and some of these guys get hundreds of foxes. You don't know where all these foxes come, but they tell me they get hundreds of foxes. So when you kill all the foxes, then the rabbit have time to multiply. In a lot of the places I'm privy to hunt on, I'm hunting on land that either fox fox uh, trappers own it or they have permission to trap the foxes. Mm-hmm. So the rabbits multiply. And where we hunted, there is a, 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 a trapper who comes in and trap the foxes. So they multiply. We've hunted there oh, yeah. uh, each year, maybe twice, except we didn't hunt there last year due to family matters and illness uh, of our hosts. But we get double digits in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's plenty. I remember back in the day, before I knew all of these people 25 years ago, we would go hunt. We'd get one or two, sometimes none. Yeah, you're telling me. Yeah. And that's a, it's a big thing for folks to understand. Yeah, I mean, in the American West, back in the in the turn of the century, you rabbits stacked up two, three high. I mean, yeah. the fields of thousands of rabbits. And so when you, you, know, you say you devote your life to rabbit hunting, 
you shoot all these rabbits, you're not putting a dent in the population. That is correct. Not a dent one. Give you a couple examples. You mentioned you were walking in the brush and you saw a rabbit over to your right and the dogs were running one. Many times where there are lots of rabbits, the dogs will run that one rabbit, but you'll see two or more side rabbits. Yeah. These are rabbits that are getting out of the bushes because the dogs have gone through there and they don't know where to go. They hear voices. They hear shooting over here. They hear dogs over here. But the dogs go through, so they hop out for safety. Unbeknownst to them, there's a hunter nearby. And I tell the guys, it's okay to shoot that one. Shoot him, pick him up, put him on a tree branch, put him in your, in your pouch, and the dogs are going to run that one. And rarely do they break and split. Occasionally, maybe twice a year, I might have the pack running two rabbits. Yep. But most time, they all going to stay on that same rabbit and side rabbits. And I tell the fellas, some guy will say, well, I saw a rabbit run over here, and I saw one run over there. I said, if you didn't shoot, because a lot of those guys are scared to shoot. They don't know what's the optimum distance to shoot. <laughs> See, myself and a few other people, we have no scared shells. <laughs> okay? Because you can always buy more, I found. We gonna, that's right. And they're going to make more. And we keep Remington Federal and all them people, <laughs> Winchester, in business. We're going to shoot. And, and we go check. So I tell them, if you don't shoot and the dogs are running one, we're going to kill that one. And then if you saw one, mark a spot where you saw him. I yep. saw a rabbit run by that down tree. I saw a rabbit run over by the ditch or by the whatever over here. Mm. And we'll work our way around. Those dogs will come and they pick that scent up and we got another chase going. And we get that one. Yeah. And 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 just move and move quietly and be on your guard. Yeah, be attentive too. Yeah. Be I mean, attentive. Because as I told one fella, I told him the rabbit was coming on him and he he gets all excited. <laughs> so he had that over and under 20 gauge or 28 gauge ready. And the rabbit burst out of those bushes coming straight at him. And that is the hardest shot to shoot a rabbit when he's coming straight at you yep. because he's running fast and you're aiming and 10 Always to 1, shoot over you're him, shooting you? over him. Yeah. So you got to drop down. So he he shot, boom, he missed him. A rabbit ran by, boom. He said, doggone Charles, I had the beat on him. I don't know how I miss him. I said, look, let me tell you something. A rabbit will make the best shot, the best hunter look bad on your best day. Yep. So suck it up, get ready, and you can redeem yourself That's the gospel later. of the church of rabbit hunt. You said that That's when you right. were like... The good rabbit will make you look bad on your best day, on son. On your best day. Four or five four or five good shots a day, you should be happy. You That's be right. Like, Thank that you. That is right. Thanks that to the rabbit right. gods for delivering those, That's those delicious right. rabbits. Now, you have a, a unique way of talking to your dogs in the field. I think probably most people are. I enjoyed listening to you work those dogs. And I think that's probably the most unique thing about hunting with you is just listening to you run them. So give me an example of how, you know, if we were hunting right now and there was dogs, how would you, how do you talk to them? How do you command them? What do you do? Well, that's, that's one of the traits that a lot of guys say they come out to hear me. <laughs> they don't care if they kill anything. They say it's, it's like a, it's fun. like a stage performance and I get teased a lot. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so forth. So when all of the dogs have names, the dogs I hunt with now, my two best dogs are Hank and Rattler. Yep. Rattler is seven. Hank is six. They're the two best. They're, they'll bring a rabbit out. They'll stay on the scent. When the mother dogs lose them, they will find them. Then I have Bozo 
and Blue. Blue is a blue tick. Yep. All of these dogs were named before I got them. I, <laughs> I was going to ask you how. I wouldn't have picked some of those names <laughs> uh, because I buy them when they're one to two years old. So the owners have named them and they raise them and, they, and they're all good dogs. Then I have Buckshot and Sam. They're like 26, 27 months old. Yep. So they're coming along good. So when I put them down and they take off to get them going and where I want them to go, I call them. And I said, come on over here. Come on over here. Come on over here. We're going to hunt over here. Get in the bushes. And they understand. Now, Blue likes to hunt a little wide. So, and when they, when they, when a rabbit is up, I said, come on, find him now. Find him. <laughs> get him up. Find him. And they respond. And when they lose one, I could be 50 to 60 yards away and I'll yell to them, find them. What that does, that gives them encouragement and they're searching a little bit harder. Yep. And I yell to them and I yell, hey, hey, come on, boy, get them, find them. Don't make me look bad in front of these guys. They're going to laugh at me and tease me. <laughs> and the guys are rolling. And next thing you know, the rabbits is coming and they tease. And so when they shoot, when I was shooting and kill a rabbit and I try not to do too much shooting because my wife gave me a hard time. <laughs> she said, how many did y'all kill on one hunt? I said, well, we kill eight. How many you kill? I said, I killed six. When are they going to start killing? I say, when they get their behinds in <laughs> well, the Well, when we hunted, you snuck a few in. Everyone, hey, yeah. sometimes there's a rabbit there. You got to shoot it. There's yeah. nothing you can do, Charles. Yeah. It's not your and, fault. And, and I'm not going to let them, I'm not going to let them pass. I let them huh. run because I want the dogs to run the rabbit. I don't want the dogs to run run one rabbit for an hour and a half, which yeah. they do sometimes. And so I want the guy skilled. But if they are so out of it, then I kill. But I yell to them in encouragement, and then I'll yell, dead rabbit. Yeah, give me the full dead rabbit. because that's a. I'll say, bam! Somebody you got him. I said, dead rabbit. Pick him up. And what you want to do when you shoot the rabbit, you want to stay where the rabbit is down. Now, if he's crawling, you don't shoot him again and put pepper him up with lead. Yeah. Because you just put your foot on him. Rabbit's one of the easiest thing to kill. Hit him with a chop behind the neck with your hand. You can kill him or hit him on the gun barrel or hit him on the tree. You put your foot on him and, and leave him on the ground. So when the dogs come, they're going to follow the scent line to the down rabbit. This is their reward for running. When they sniff that down rabbit, a couple of mines don't even come. They just look at him and keep on going. They know they know they have scored a touchdown. So mm -hmm. now it's time to go searching again so they can score another mm -hmm. touchdown. And they know because if you don't let them see that dead rabbit, and some of the boys tend to pick them up fast. I said, no, 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 don't pick them up fast. Let them, let them smell it. And sometime I'll walk over and hold the rabbit up and let them hold it up and shake it in front of their face, and they'll look at it, they'll smell it. They know it's down. Yep. But if you don't do that, they keep searching because they think, that rabbit is still up until they run out of scent line. So they'll follow him up that scent line. And when they run, they are running close together. Yeah. When you know you got a good pack of dogs, they're running. And I tell people this, and I write, I write articles for a couple of magazines, Better Beagling, a national yeah. magazine. Better Beagling, fine and, publication. And out of Indiana, fine people. And I write for a local magazine called the Maryland Hunting Quarterly maybe a couple of times a year, but I write five or six every year for Better Beagling. The ones I write for Better Beagling, they're, they're either about hunts. Yep. I take pictures of the guys, the rabbits, and 
put them in there and send everybody a copy and they can brag to their friends. <laughs> and I'll write stories sometime about a hunter. Let, uh, me, let, me, let me ask you this question because mm-hmm. you wrote a story about our hunt. My dad and I came out hunting with you. And you wrote a story about our hunt. Now, I'm a writer. That's my profession, too. And I read this story that you wrote in Better Beagling Magazine. And I thought, how the hell does Charles remember all this? You had the, the most intricate details of stuff that I would never remember. You Do you take notes? Uh, or do you just have a photographic memory? I'll tell you this. what A, a fella who introduced me to the starting introduced me. He was the first person to introduce me to people who were in the business of land. Mm-hmm. And long story, I'm long-winded, but I'll cut it short. Keep it going. He, no, it's he, a, it's perfect. This organization was called the Maryland Legislative Sportsman's Foundation, made up of about 13 guys who uh, promoted hunting and fishing issues, uh, pros or con. And we testified uh, before the legislature and we worked with the Department of Natural Resources. They asked me to do an auction. I do charity auctions for a lot of groups, for hunting and fishing groups. And he said, Charles, I got your name from some folks. You did a charity auction. And I don't charge for any of these things. Susan B. Coleman for a big cancer raising thing twice. And our auctioneer couldn't make it. Can you do an auction for us? I said, sure. But what are you charge? I said, well, let me ask you something. I said, aren't most of the members hunters and fishermen and waterfowlers? He said, yeah, what that's got to do with anything? I said, I don't want any money. I want permission to hunt on the land that you guys own or lease. He said, that's it. I said, that's it. I said, plus, you can come rabbit hunt with me. So he told me after a couple of hunts, he said and read some of the article, he said, how do you remember all of this stuff? He said, you remember everything from the first cup of coffee to Everything. Who yeah, I'm missed. talking like the shape of the briar patch that the first rabbit well, came out of. I, I do have this great memory that I can remember who's doing what, who was standing where, who shot, who missed, how many times. And I'm just, I'm not trying to remember it, but I remember it. I remember the cover, the type of cover. We hunting on flat ground. We hunting on a slope. We hunting where there's a where it bottoms out in a big slope. There's a creek running through it. There's a pond over here, and 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 there were ducks on the pond, and they flew off. I remember all of this stuff. Who killed what and how many times they shot and so forth. I have this memory. And when I put the story together, I don't take notes in the field because the action is too fast. Yeah. But what I do when I come back home, I'll write, first rabbit killed within 10 minutes by Ben. Second rabbit, killed by Phil, two shots. Third rabbit, five guys shot at him. Rabbit's still running because <laughs> I add a little human to it. Yeah. I can remember 90-some percent of what goes on on a hunt, and I can hunt multiple hunts, one behind the other, and I can still remember with a different group of people, and I can still remember. But when I come home, I make a little cryptic note, just a few words. <laughs> we kill 14. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll itemize all the rabbits up to 18 rabbits who did what and other time I'll just lump the story in and I'll make it short because my wife tell me I'm writing too long but I'm long winded so yep. I can remember all of that and and everybody on how do you remember that I said well I write 90% of it and I make up 5% <laughs> and one guy that's said, pretty good most writers are about 50-50 <laughs> one guy said he was joking he said you sure you're not making up 
90% and 10% is the truth. I said, well, I'm the writer. Who who knows? <laughs> who the hell knows? Yeah. When I read the story you wrote about Arhunt, I thought he could be making that up, but it sounds damn right. It's, <laughs> I don't know how he remembered exactly how that rabbit came shooting out of that brush, but it is like, well, and, and I tell true people to my this, experience. Ben, I tell people this, this is all I do. Yeah. So I'm not hunting with a bow on deer one day and then I'm dove hunting the next day and then black powder comes in and I'm hunting black powder and then I'm hunting with the gun the next day. Then I go waterfowl then I go try to kill a deer. I'm not doing all of that. I'm doing one thing and I'm passionate about that one thing and my memory rolls with that one thing. So when I, when I say it is pretty well covered because it doesn't take me long to capture. We're hunting a hedgerow and hedgerow is made up of this. And we're hunting in a, in, a, in a wooded field or a grassy field and so forth. And I can remember all of that. And I don't think I've gotten any arguments back. Now, Jeff Crane, who is president of Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, he likes to tease me. And he's a great friend and a great guy. Yep. We just had so, him on. So, so Jeff, in one story, and I send Jeff a magazine, whether he's in the story or not. And they get to go on about three hunts. He and Phil Hoon who works for him and whose family owned property. So that we hunt on. So Jeff said, he said, Charles, I don't think I missed that many you put in the story. I said, believe me, if I put in a story, you missed that many. I said, Jeff, why are you always bothered about what you missed? You shot at four rabbits, you missed two, and you killed two. You're batting 50%. That's yeah, but right. I don't think I missed that many. <laughs> I said, next time we write the story, I'm going to draft it. I'm going to send it to you and you. You mark it up. You are telling me if rabbit hunting was baseball, you'd be in the Hall of Fame with a 500 That's average. right. That's yeah. right. That's, That's right. right. This is like hitting a fastball. That's right. <laughs> Same damn yeah. thing. Same yeah. damn thing. But teasing, one thing about hunting and fishing, is, as many of the listeners know, is teasing come oh. with it. So if you got thin skin. Listen, if you ever come hunt around Charles and you don't have a good time, that's on you. That's right. That's on, not on Charles. Part of my job is to make it to have you get to shoot, to hopefully kill, and to have some fun. And I'm disappointed if you don't shoot and if you don't have some fun. Now, the missing, you're on your own. <laughs> you're on your own. That's a T-shirt. Miss, you're on your own. That's right. Uh, give me the, the I don't know what you'd call it. Would you call it a chant that you do, like a call that you do? Give me the, it's a. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a call, a chant for the dogs. Yeah. And, and they understand it. Each hunter who each owner of dogs have their own chant. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some say, yipe, yipe. I say, ay, ay, come on here. Get him in there, boy. Find him now. Find him. And they look a little, they, they reach back and they, they pull a little something out. It's like the old fighter. You think he's knocked, knocked down and he pulls something up out of his sleeve and he finds an extra punch somewhere and he wins the fight. Yeah. They pull a little something up. I've seen dogs tired and they get up that last rabbit and it's a marathon run and you yell and in this encouragement you're coaching them you're telling them what to do it's just like any any coach encouraging their team to play defense to block that shot to watch that corner to to do whatever it is uh their their whatever game they're doing yep and it's the same thing I'm the coach so I encourage them. I call the commands, and they listen to them and they respond to it. Yeah, there's a and you do like a what's it like? A, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Aye, aye. And when when they when we when we see a rabbit running and the dogs are someplace else, they'll find that oh, scent. No. But yeah. maybe they're 25, 30 yards away, and somebody say, I just saw a rabbit run over here. Because you walk up on them and you can spook them up. And so I'll say, where? And I'll call the dog. When you call them, you gotta call them with enthusiasm in your voice. You just can't say, here boy, come here. They're gonna look at you. What's wrong with you? So you call them with enthusiasm and you gotta be consistent. Come on here. Yay, yay, yay. Come on, get him up over here. Just jump up. Come on over here. Find him, find him, find him. And boy, they're running through the brushes. And all you need is one to pick up the scent. And he picks up that scent and he gives that certain bark, the rest of them, in about two seconds. They're all together. And when they're running a hot scent, I tell people, with my dogs, they're running a pattern so close together, you can pull a blanket off the bed and throw it and cover all six of them. They're yep. running that pattern that close. Now, there are dogs that's going to keep the lead. Yep. I got a couple that's always in the lead because they're a little bit more peppy than the rest. Is it, is it a more excitement or is it a veteran dog that'll lead the I pack? think it's a veteran dog and they got a little bit more pep. Yep. They're a little bit more peppy. They got a little bit more speed in their makeup than the others. The others are within a foot or two apart, but these are always in the lead. Okay. Uh, and then I have the veteran ones that when they lose him, they don't give up. They're going to find him. They're going to be searching and they're they going to they gonna think like a rabbit and they're going to go. Those other dogs might go to the left. That dog will figure out that rabbit didn't go to the left. He went to the left but he doubled back or he tripled back and he's over here somewhere. And they figure that out yeah. because you can have multiple scent because that rabbit going to crisscross his own scent a yeah, number of times. Not an easy thing to do. There's a and lot of scents in there. A lot of time he'll run down and he'll run back on the same scent pattern. So the dogs don't know which way that scent is going. So it's confusing, but those veteran dogs and it takes a dog three to four years to become masters. Yep. Okay. When they're about four years, they ain't their own. And if they're any good, you can't touch them. Okay. Yeah. How do you, uh, if somebody wanted to get into rabbit night, rabbit hunting is, is your passion. It's the thing that you do. Right. And so, like you said, a lot of hunters just go by the season, right? Oh, it's waterfowl season, deer season, just go mm -hmm. and do the thing. You, but there's a lot of people that, that just hunt waterfowl. A lot of people that just love turkeys. There's a lot of mm -hmm. people that, that just love a certain thing. Now, but if somebody wanted to to pick up rabbit hunting and kind of take it to your level, how where how would you tell them to start? What would you tell them to think? First about? of all, I would tell them find a veteran person who's been doing it, one that you can trust, and take you out and teach you the fundamentals of hunting: what to buy, clothing, what kind of gun, preparation for that time frame should, is best to go. And when you start getting into dogs, how to select dogs mm -hmm. and who to trust is best to buy. Well, let me start back. So, so talk about a good gun to hunt with. Yeah. That's like what, what okay. caliber? What, what I would gauge? say, I would say stay away from the 12 gauge. Yep. They're large. And if you're shooting, you, you tend to put a lot of pellets in the rabbit. Now you can't eat them because you don't want to break up all your teeth. And you're going to pepper them up with shells. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people use that. Okay. A, a good 20 gauge. The most fellas use 20 gauge. Number six and seven and a half. 
I use a 20, I use a 28, and I use a 410. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Okay, that 410, you got to be on the money, but it'll bring them down in that 28-gauge is nothing but a rabbit killer. That's it's got good yeah. power, and it doesn't knock them down. And I use sixes when I can find them in all of them, and I'll go to seven and a half. So the guns, the clothing, you're gonna need. You're gonna need some orange. You're gonna need a vest with a pouch on it. You're gonna need a jacket when it start getting cold with a pouch on it to put your game in it. Uh, you're gonna need some good gloves, leather gloves, or some kind of material that resist the briars because yep. you're going to go through briars yep. and you need briar pants or chaps Yep. because you can't go out there and hunt with blue jeans on because you're going to have, you'll be picking stickers out of your leg for a week. Yeah. Okay. So you need briar pants and you can buy them from all of the distributors, go online, wherever you chose, or you can get chaps. I think that's one mistake I made. I came out there just, I can't remember what kind of pants I had on, but they weren't the right ones. And you, and you were in the bushes. And I told some people, I said, boy, he's hunting like a veteran. I have some guys who never want to go in the bushes. So if I say, I need a guy on the clearing, I got it. They never want to go in the bushes. Then I have some other guys go in the bushes because a lot of time you got to go in the yep. bushes and walk through. And so you need, you need that kind of gun. 26, 28-inch barrel is good, yep. okay? Uh, the the Some guys come out there, few guys come out with a single. A lot of guys like a double, over and under, side by side, uh, pump, semi, whatever's your preference. Um, try that. Yep. And you need something that's light. Yep. You don't need a big heavy gun because you're going to be doing a lot of walking. And you got to swing it quick, too. You got to swing it. You're going through vines, you're going through ditches, you're going through gullies, you're going over logs. So all of that, you're walking in mud sometime, and all of that weights down on you. Plus, you got your shells, you got your knife, your water bottle, two, three rabbits in your pocket if you're good. So you need all of that. And now, um, and of course, you need a nice place with, with a lot of cover to hunt. And the acreage doesn't matter. My buddy and I hunted on some land about three acres, and we killed, one day we killed our limit. We went back, we killed our limit. Two little narrow dishes. There were rabbits in there. Uh, but your main thing is you need cover that houses rabbits. I hunt on some people land. They own thousands of acres of land. We hunt one little piece. We'll hunt maybe 100 yards, uh, two hedgerows, and we hunt back. 
we'll get more coming back the second time because the first time the dogs are running one or two rabbits, we kill them. And when we come back through the second time, those rabbits that didn't move, they're spooked up and they're ready to run. We hunted on a, on a ditch in the middle of a field. Yeah. This is a spot loaded with rabbits. I trained there. We, we killed three, one at the beginning. We killed two at the other end, about 125 yards long. And it's about 25 yards wide. We hunted back. The, I want to say, let's walk to the truck in the field and walk to the truck and go down. I said, no, 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 no. Let's walk back through slow. We got plenty of rabbits. In we killed seven going back. Now, if we had walked in the field and just went to the truck, we would have missed seven. Yep. And we hunted there, uh, a bunch of us, last year. And we went across 30. It was a bunch of us. Rabbits was running everywhere. <laughs> and he said, there's probably another 30 in there. And so I went trained because I trained my dogs right after the season in the cooler months, March, April, May. Then it get hot. Yes, it's not so hot for them. Yeah. And then June, July, August, September. I just started running them again, not training, running because they already train. But they're athletes. So they, you need to exercise them so they can get their stamina. They can lose some of that summer weight. So I started, I went um, two days ago. And I, I jumped to, I ran them for 15 minutes. That's enough. I'm going tomorrow and run them again. A lot of guys don't run their dogs. And when they come out there the first day, they expect miracles out of these dogs that's been laying around all summer. Man, and these dogs look like they don't want to hunt. They, they never heard of rabbit hunting. My dogs, when I let them off the truck, they ready to roll. Yep. So you need to you, you need to work that. But I went train on this ditch a couple of times, and I took an older friend of mine. He's about 89 now. And I said, I just want you to walk on the other side. And so we walk with a stick. We're doing the same thing when, we tr when we're running, except we don't have a gun. We have yep. a stick. In about an hour and a half, we, we counted at least 20 rabbits. He said, Charles, even at my age... I could have killed my limit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you this now. You keep saying you got a lot of el uh, older fellers that you hunt with. If this doesn't mean, like, you can get, like you said, you can be made to look a fool by these rabbits. Yeah. Like, you, you can go one day and shoot 10 rabbits or what, shoot your limit. What's, your, what's the limit? Four, four. four per person. Four per person. So you can shoot four rabbits one day and be like, I am a rabbit hunter. Yeah. I'm gonna pick this up. Yeah. And the next time you go, you should go for 10 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens. That ha look, that has happened to me. And that happened to a lot of guys. They go out there one day. One day I hunted with some guys years ago. I shot 16 times. Rabbit came at me straight. I put three on him with a pump. Missing. He went down, ran right by me, went down. I loaded up. He came back the same pattern. I put three more. That's six shots. I killed one rabbit that day with 16 shots. <laughs> we hunted We hunted toward the end of the season on some property nearby. This was in Salisbury, Maryland. Yep. I made seven shots, seven rabbits. Beautiful. It's like fishing. You go one day, you think there's no fishing in the bay. You go the next day, the boat's tipping over with fish. Yep. It's the same thing. Yep. So... You just have to be patient. It's that's, called hunting. It's called hunting and not killing. That's right. That's right. So my dad always said to me, and 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 at some level, uh, that's what keeps you coming back. 
That's right. To keep That's strong right. back. But the key, the key is to have good property. And I tell a friend of mine who hunts a lot with me, and I tell my wife, we're religious people. I give thanks to God all the time for all the people I've met, uh, including you and all of your comrades and a bunch of other comrades from a lot of organizations that I've been introduced to yeah. and just a lot of regular everyday people that I'm blessed to know so many people who allow me to come and hunt on their land when they're finished what they're doing. And when February rolls around, the, the text, the email, the phone is ringing. My wife tells me, you're one person. And I try not to go back to back two days in a row because I need a rest and the dog yeah. need a rest. Yeah. And, and I tell them, the Saturdays and President's Day have been gone for the last 10 years. So you got to go weekdays. And some of these people got all of these reasons why they can't go hunting. I say, look, and if you want to go, you tell me if I can, if I invite you. But if you can't go, tell me too. Because when I go to, when I pull the sheets up on me at night, I want to know who's going in the morning. I don't want you to call me in the morning and say, I can't make it, or da 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 da, da this and that and the other. Now, there are emergencies. But if you can't go, I got five guys standing in line behind, and all I got to do is call one of them. Because I want to know who's going, who I'm picking up, who's meeting me here to go hunting. Yep. Uh, and, and, and it works pretty good because guys know that I'm, I'm serious about this and so forth. So I got people coming to me and I'm, 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 I'm in overload. So I don't, <laughs> I don't need anybody else calling me or asking me to ask you to go hunt and with so them. forth. Uh, that, I mean, it strikes me that you've kind of taken your upbringing and what you love and your, your religion and it's all kind of wrapped up into the church of rabbit hunting to like, you, you, mm -hmm. It's people for you, you know. It's not yeah. just killing. It's yeah. not just the, the pursuit no. of the animal. It's the people. It's it's the relationship with your dogs. It's the relationship to the land and time spent outside. Like it, it seems to me like all that is wrapped up in the passion. It's not, you know, you're not measuring. Of course, rabbits are different because you don't measure the ear on a rabbit. And say how big it is. It's did you have? Were you with good people? Did you have some laughs? Did you did? Were you safe? Were you productive? Yeah. Did you have a good time? Like, and and once it once we start losing all of those things, then it's time to quit. Yeah. And I don't think we will because I deal with I deal only with quality people. Okay. And we have some fun. And if there are any person who are any anti people that we run into, we eat everything that we kill. Yep. And if we don't eat it, we got a ton of people who want it. That we give away. Even there's a lady. My wife takes acupuncture from a lady. Yep. She and her friend rescue stray cats and dogs. And so she asked my wife, what do your husband do with the ears? She said, I guess he throw them away. So she said, ask him if he can save them for me. Because they've been buying ears from China. So they rescue these cats and dogs. And oh. they make treats for the cats and dogs. So the last four or five years... I've been giving her ears. I give her four, five hundred ears. Wow. So the guys laugh at me when I when I'm they're on the tailgate and I'm cutting all of these ears off. You probably did so too. <laughs> and I'm cutting all these ears off. So what I do, I, I take them, whatever I have on a hunt, I put them in a couple of bags in the freezer. And at the end of the season, when my wife go for her treatment in March, she take them to her. And she just loved it. I even wrote a story about her, got her in the magazine. <laughs> and so nothing goes to waste That's other right. than the other than the guts and the blood. Yeah. Well, I mean it's 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 a good way of living life. 
Yes. You have a good yeah. time doing it. I know you do. Oh, I can't wait. I start when the season's <laughs> over the last day of February, I'm already counting the months. Now I'm counting uh, the days. You're counting the days because it's, it's we're not about, that far we're away. We're about six weeks away. Yeah. Gosh, that's going to yeah. be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I, there's just certain things, you know, as we were talking before this, I've hunted around a good bit. I'm from Maryland. I spent a lot of time on the Eastern Shore. Spent a lot of time hunting think, big critters with big antlers, big horns, mm-hmm. big top of mountains, things like that. But there's something about freaking Saturday spent hunting rabbits mm-hmm. that I could do every year on the year. And if I lived here, probably every weekend on the weekend. Your buddy, your buddy Phil Hoon said, and I quoted him in a magazine, he said, the only bad thing about rabbit hunting, you got to wait 10 more months until you do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, man. You're on the end of the season. But it's fun. people who have never done it say, uh, I didn't know this thing was this much fun. And God. some some of these guys have gone, they go, and they still do. They go all over the world and hunt all sorts of things. I mean, they go to Argentina. They go mm-hmm. to Mexico. They go to New Mexico for all kinds of doves and sand hill. Uh, and the big deer here, and the elk, and all of that stuff, and they go out of the out of the to South Africa and hunt all kinds of things. They say, man, one one guy who's a who's a, a good friend and uh, an associate of Jeff and and Phil them, uh, he comes out. He came out on one hunt. He had a cigar in his mouth, and and of course I've made this. I tell the story to a lot of people, and the cigar have gotten lo- longer. <laughs> cigar was probably whatever the average length of a cigar, six, seven, eight inches. That's right. I say, man, when Greg was hunting, he had a cigar. That cigar was about 14 inches long in his mouth. <laughs> he never lit it. But when the hunt was over, he had about an inch left in his mouth. Now, I said, Greg, I don't know if you ate it or what you did with that cigar, but you got a nub. He said, Charles, this hunt was so fast and the action so heavy. I don't know what I did. I probably swallowed the cigar, but the cigar, <laughs> the cigar. So I, I tell him, I said, I keep telling that story. He said, keep telling that story and, and making the cigar longer. I said, by the time I finish, that cigar going to be Three 20, feet long. 20 inches long. <laughs> he, said, he, he thought that was great fun. You can take a cigar out and hit a rabbit with it. Yeah, yeah. That level. No, yeah. it is fun. And it, they're, they're, uh, we have this kind of deal in the hunting industry, you know, that I run around in where, like, we do celebrate the bigger critters and the bigger antlers and the more adventure like going to the top of the mountain and going far 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 mm-hmm. away we we tend to celebrate that a good bit which is fine because it's awesome uh don't get me wrong but yeah boy i'll tell you <laughs> if you get if you start going uh weekend rabbit hunting you'll never have much more fun than that That's i don't right. i don't believe because what happens in a rabbit hunt and i taught my brother-in-law who's a city boy how to rabbit hunt he said i want to try he's like 13 years younger than us he went with me, and he carried a stick first couple of times. He didn't carry a gun. So I loaned him a single-shot 410. He said, that's all I need. And he bought a couple of common pieces of clothes to see if he liked it. Well, he liked it. The next year, he said, I'm in. He bought him the whole outfit, a new shotgun, etc. And he said, he told his sister, my wife, he said, rabbit hunting is like playing basketball you got two seconds left the score is tied and you got the ball and your adrenaline is pumping and you make that final shot and you win the game by two points or one point you know you might be one under he said that's what it's like 
And I've been doing this since I was eight. So for 60 years and my adrenaline pumps, I don't smoke and I don't drink. Uh, Sometime I'll put a, a peppermint in my mouth or a stick. And I'm like Greg with the cigar. I chew a whole lot of little branches off mm-hmm. of little dry twigs because when them dogs are barking, I call it the beagle music. When they're barking in hot pursuit, your anxiety and your adrenaline is up high because you're looking all over your eye. Your eyes are going like a windshield wipe on a car on fast. You don't know where he's going to come out. Yep. He might, you might see him way in front of you. You might see him cross over. He might come right at you. He might run right past you. And that happened all the time. So your adrenaline is pumping. So don't come out there with a weak heart. <laughs> okay, we don't want to carry anybody That's out. Right. But your adrenaline will pump whether you like it. Now, I've heard of people having heart attacks when they see this monster deer appear that you read about. It. I've only read about it. But I've not had anybody have one with me, and I hope I never. <laughs> but even at 60 years doing this, my adrenaline still pumping anticipation because it is just so exciting. Yeah. Well, I think you may have talked a few people into going rabbit hunting in this last Well, I hope so. Hour or so. Talking. Wherever, wherever, and I wrote this in one of my articles, wherever you are, it can be upstate New York and anywhere in between, North, South Carolina, anywhere down South. If you got the right cover, the right people hunting with you, and they got some dogs in there, and they have some good dogs, and you can find out who have good dogs. And most of these guys, if you offer them up some land or something, they want to go because uh, land is, is, is getting away from us, places yeah. to hunt. That's right. So if you uh, approach some of these guys and let them into your world, when you finish doing whatever you're doing, you can have some good fun, and you can find some yeah. rabbit because they're everywhere. Yeah, and okay. if you've never hunted before, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast and people I interact with and, and are a part of our uh, world that got excited about hunting but have still never done it, right? Mm-hmm. That that want to eat something they've killed but have still never found a way. They may live in a place, like you said, where there's no access. They may think they can't afford the equipment. They may – there's a lot of things they, that might stop them from going mm-hmm. and doing it. But, but rabbit hunting in particular – has all like you can get a four ten for almost nothing. Mm-hmm. You can get a pair of brush pants for almost nothing, or yeah. just borrow a pair from somebody like yeah, like yourself, and and find some land. Most people aren't going to say no, no, no. We we want all our rabbits. Don't shoot any of those. And it's acts. It's accessible. It's easy to do. It's it doesn't cost much money at all, if any. Really, just mm-hmm. to get a tag. And it's you know you, when you shoot four rabbits, come to the Eastern Shore, shoot four rabbits, and cook them up. It's more meat than you can. I mean, my That's dad right. and I both shot. We had what we left with eight probably, and we fed. I don't know how many people on that. My yeah. dad, my dad might still be eating those rabbits. Well, we killed fourteen that day. Yeah, and my buddy Max and I didn't take any because many time on the hunt, we get plenty, and if the hunters that we're taking want them all, we give them all to them, yeah. and we help we help you guys clean them. But there are many hunts I go on where the hunter said, "Well, I don't want any." One guy said, "My wife told me." Whatever you're hunting, don't tell me and don't bring anything back. So we got his portion. And some guys say, man, I just came to, to hunt and shoot. I don't yep. want any. Yep. And I don't eat them, but I like to hunt. So whatever they don't want, I take and I give to all of the people on my list. Yep. So, uh, yeah, if you get that opportunity, and I tell people this, if you get that opportunity to go and you got a good 
responsible, safe person and with some good dogs and going to teach you and guide you. And you're going to have some fun. There are some people that you go with. They want to do all of the shooting because they know where to stand and how to move and when not to move and where the rabbit's going to come. I know that. Yep. Okay. Because I can tell how my dogs are moving, how far they are, and if they're coming back and so forth. And I tell the guys, spread out and move and get in a clearing. And if he's going down, he's coming back. And watch. And look around you because there are others sitting around. And when you see a clump of grass or a bush, they can sit in a little clump of grass the size of a small pumpkin. And you can walk by them because everything's brown. And they won't move, and you walk right past them. But what I do, I kick those little clumps. And when they get up, we don't shoot the rabbit when we kick them up like that, particularly the first rabbit, because you want the dogs to run the first rabbit right. to get their adrenaline going and their excitement going. Once you get that, their excitement going on that first and second rabbit, they're looking for more rabbits. This is what they live for. So um, you kick them clumps, and you stand back, and... You, you watch them, yeah. and then the dogs will, will get them up. The dog's going to bring them back. Well, everybody out there is listening. Join the join the congregation, Church of Rabbit Hunting. I like that term. Well, there's one fellow. He's a father-in-law. Well, almost father-in-law. I don't know why that boy hadn't married his daughter yet. Uh, he's been dating the young lady, and I said, you need to marry her. Well, she want a big ring. I said, what the heck? Buy that big ring. She want a big stone to show her girlfriend. I said, buy that stone. <laughs> so his father-in-law to be, he had so much fun. This man had never hunted rabbits before. He didn't even have a gun. And he didn't even have a jacket. And so he come out there the first time with a borrowed gun from his son-in-law in a kind of like a, a, a coverall suit that the workers use when it's cold outside. I saw the guy giving him shells. I said, well, every time he shoot, he shot three times, whether he hit or not. He shot three times. He shot at three rabbits, three shots apiece, miss all of them. So he, he wanted to do it. So I said, you need a smaller gun. So I brought a 20-gauge semi and loaned it to him on another hunt. That man out, we killed about 19 that day. Wow. He must have killed six or seven. They were running on him, and he was popping him, and we teased him about practicing during the summer. <laughs> and um, he said, Charles, I'm going to call you a different name. You are the doctor of rab- rabbitology. <laughs> he said, I know there's no the such word, but he said, I'm giving you a new handle, the doctor <laughs> of rabbitology. You got to get I, a new business card. I saw him this summer. Well, no, I don't need a business card because I got, I got enough action already. <laughs> So, but he's a, he's a fun, fun, fun guy. Yeah. So. Well, a business card with, of just, you know, I, it struck me as like, this guy's got a business card. He don't charge a dime. This is just, he's just a, like a, a friend that wants to come out in the rabbit hole with That's you. That's all. And people say, well, what do you get out of it? I say, it's my passion. Yeah. I get to meet new people. Yeah. I get to see other people hunt. I get to share what I enjoy and I get to hunt on new lands. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A lot of guys I know don't get that. And yeah. I'm I'm single out. I'm one of the few that gets that because I, I, I worked on these committees 
volunteered my time. I met people. I deal with people great. I have no hang-ups. They have no hang-ups. If any, if they do, then I don't deal with them. And I've met, I've been blessed to meet all kinds of nice people from all walks of life. And we don't judge nothing about either. Yeah. And and I know that many of these individuals are very affluent in life, but I'm not into that. Yeah. I'm into taking you yeah. rabbit hunting. Rabbit will humble you no matter if That's you're right. a king, a queen, just a regular guy. That's right. So yeah. so when you put all that aside, and I know a lot of people outfit. That's their passion. They make a living doing it, doing deer and all kinds of things. And that's fine. That's great. I'm not into that. If I own 25,000 acres, maybe I would have I would have done it. But when you start taking people money for rabbit hunting, there's no guarantee that there are rabbits in the yeah. bushes. Yeah. And then people have an expectation. Right now, all I can deliver is if they're there, the dogs are going to find them. If you're in the right position, you're going to get a chance to shoot. Yeah. And some of them guys have just as much fun when they kill as when they miss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like I said, if you come out with, with muds, old, muds flying. Uh, you come out with a doctor of <laughs> rabbitology, don't have a good time. I'm it's sorry, but you. it's on you. That's right. You have done something wrong, That's right. something terribly wrong. That's well, right. I appreciate you having me in your home here um, and your lovely wife cooking us breakfast and spending time with you. I think if anybody can learn from something from you. It's, it's 60 years of passion for whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is, That's rabbit right. hunting or whatever you're doing. But right. your passion for that thing is, is it's, in, it's inspiring. And, and I thank you, Ben. I thank you uh, in meeting you and the things you've done for me and introduced me to your dad. And, and I feel so blessed and so single out to have been given this opportunity to do this interview. Uh, this just gives me a big boost. And I hope the world that's listening, I hope I was clear and I hope you understand uh, and follow through what I said. But it is my passion uh, in I enjoy it tremendously. And like I said on my card, it's the only game in town for me. I, I don't criticize anybody else for the things that they do and they love, and that's fine. Yeah. But uh, I hope I've given you, for those who want to try this somewhere, I hope I've given you some good tips. And best of luck to all uh, of you. Well, thank you. And then... Uh... I'm glad it's the only game in town because it's a hell of a game. Yes, sir. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. That's it. That's all. Episode number 30 in the books. Thanks to Charles Rodney for having me in his home. He and his lovely wife for cooking me breakfast. Being so welcoming there um, on a rainy day in Maryland. Uh, it was fantastic to, to be with Charles and to hear about his passion, his life story, which is amazing and um, why he does what he does, which is rabbit hunt. That's all he cares for. That's all he wants to do. And he has made an amazing life, uh, an amazing hunting career of doing just that. So, enjoy. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. Uh, I really 
think he is one of the better guests, one of the better people that we'll ever have on the Hunting Collective. So until next time, go to thehuntingcollective.com. Visit me at BennyOB301 on Instagram. A lot of conversation to be had about this podcast and all the others we've had recently, including Jeff Crane and Andy Treharn of the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, including Adam Foss, including our Texas series, uh, Wyman Menzer and Russell Cunningham and Roy and Ryan Cedars of Founders of Yeti and many more. So get there, listen up, and send us some comments and questions and criticisms. We love to hear it all. I sure do. And stick with us here at the Hunting Collective. We'll be back next Tuesday with another great guest and another podcast for you. Bye. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, All of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com.